Hi, I'm Amanda Satilli, author of The Agility Advantage, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Amanda Satelli. Amanda is managing partner of the strategy consulting firm, Satelli & Associates. She's worked with leaders of large enterprises such as Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, Home Depot, and Walmart to advise them on strategic direction. She gained international experience working for the Global Food Exchange, has consulted for McKinsey & Company, and developed products and optimized manufacturing operations for Kimberly Clark. Having earned a chemical engineering degree from Vanderbilt and an MBA from Harvard, she enjoys teaching business students at the B School at Emory. Amanda is the author of two important books, The Agility Advantage and Fearless Growth. She's based in Atlanta and enjoys backpacking, biking, sailing, and skiing with her family. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you for having me, Bill. It's a pleasure. Tell me, Amanda, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? I would have to say my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Tidwell. She grew up on a farm and she would tell us these stories about growing up on a farm and what it was like. And she had a, a great experiment that she ran with her kids every year, which was to take fertilized chicken eggs and put them in an incubator. And every few days we'd open one just to see what the state of the growing chick was. And it was just a great example of kind of running experiments, seeing for yourself, and just getting really immersed in the physical world and how things really work that I think helped foster my lifelong love of science and experimentation. And can you imagine a time when you were growing up, or recall a time when you were growing up, when some of that curiosity and boldness that she encouraged to look at things and really see what was happening helped you make a decision, either in choosing college or some important life decision you were making? That's an interesting question. You know, I thought when I was in college that I wanted to work in R&D because I thought that that's where you would get to like invent things and find new uh, theories and things like that. And so my first job was at Kimberly Clark in research and development. And it did not suit me at all. It was interesting that the you know your your instinct as a kid doesn't turn out to be the correct direction to go. So after I had worked in R and D for a year and a half or so, I was kind of just thinking, this is just moving too slowly, and I'm spending too much time thinking and writing. I want something more immersive. And luckily, at that time, there was an opportunity available to work in a production facility, a, a mill. And so I moved there and lived in a small town working in a mill for Kimberly Clark. And I just loved it. It was every day something happening, working with a small team to optimize operations and develop new products. And there was never a boring minute at all. We'd get called in the middle of the night to come in. And I just really, really liked that environment of working in a production facility with hourly workers and a team of really committed people. I really can relate to that. When I graduated high school, I went to Rensselaer to study computer science, and I quickly learned that the career path for computer science was to sit in front of a terminal for six, six to seven hours a day. And that wasn't for me. I really liked the management aspect of it, whether it was project management or development or really strategy development was something that I found a real love for. 
and also made moves in those directions. Mm -hmm. So I really can relate how you were initially intrigued by a subject and then your career pivoted based upon your current interests and what you were seeing going on in the company. Mm -hmm. And in the agility advantage, you talk about researching companies, finding out where they had common difficulties and what are some models and frameworks that would be beneficial to explore because they're based on actual experiences of companies rising through different periods and taking advantage of opportunities. Can we start out, would you just define what agility is in the context of business change? Yeah, so I define agility as the ability to see what's going on in the marketplace, anticipate what might happen next, and capitalize on that change. Finding a way to create something good out of whatever the change is that's coming at you. And I imagine that the change and capitalizing on the change is not a multi-year long process, but you're looking for something perhaps quicker than that. Well, often capitalizing on the change can take years. In fact, it can take a long time to be able to develop new capabilities, bring out new products, adapt your company to the change. However, you're very right about one thing, which is I'm really stressed with clients that they need to figure out something that they can do tomorrow to get out there and begin to learn. So it's very important not to get stuck in the decision phase where you're doing more analysis, trying to decide which direction to go. Make a decision about what you can do tomorrow that will enable you to head in the general direction of where you want to go and will get you out there to begin to learn. Learn what customers are really willing to pay for, learn what your capabilities really are or can be, and things like that. One of the things you mentioned in that definition is anticipating opportunities. How do you characterize an opportunity that's worth pursuing? Let's pick a company that works so that we could really ground this in something that is concrete? Yeah. So one of the examples that I use in the Agility Advantage is a company called Agco. They sell wide variety of agricultural equipment. So you think big combines and harvesters and things like that. And they were competing against John Deere. And John Deere had an integrated system for controlling and monitoring your agricultural equipment. And Agco was thinking, well, what can we do? And what they did was really fascinating. They went out for a number of weeks to five different countries spread all over the world, Brazil, China, Africa, et cetera, and spent a solid two weeks on the farms with the farmers watching how they do what they do and why they do it. And what they noticed was that the farmers were already using this was several years ago, but they were already using their iPads and their iPhones to do certain things to communicate with their agricultural extension agent, to communicate with their equipment service firms, and to monitor their equipment. And what Agco realized is that simply by taking the best practices and things that people were already doing and creating an ecosystem where they could share that with other people, they could actually create a competitive advantage over John Deere because they would have kind of a open source way of sharing great apps, great ways of communicating, et cetera, so that people could use these technologies to be able to 
schedule service appointments, monitor the temperature and pressure in their equipment, know when to service it, communicate with their extension agent about what they, chemicals they were applying, when they were seeding, et cetera. I'm not an expert in agriculture, but I just thought that was a really neat example of how they just got had to get out there and see what was really happening and then say, given what we can do, what our capabilities are, how can we take advantage of this? That's right, because a lot of times the market is already ready for these opportunities and they're looking to adapt to them. And I think everyone listening can apply that in their own market case, where even small business leaders can look and talk more with their customers and their clients and find out how they're taking advantage of the services and products and what they're doing differently that perhaps you haven't thought about, similar to how Agco was doing it. Right. Amanda, another aspect of this is capitalizing on them quickly. And when I think of large companies, because I've also worked in large companies, moving quickly with agility is not synonymous with large enterprises. How do you help them find ways to take advantage of these opportunities to make decisions? And as you were talking about earlier, to not sit on the decision-making or information-gathering stages too long. Well, when you get into these big companies, you notice that there's some very specific reasons why they have a lot of trouble being agile and acting quickly. And it's things like their organizational structure is usually around the aligned around the old way of doing things. Their incentives are almost always aligned around whatever we're doing now, not what we're going to be doing in the future. So, and just their own mental image and the way that they've been trained and the way that they're you know, kind of the way they think of themselves is always aligned with the way that things have been done historically. So when you want to do something new, often you need to kind of break things up and you don't want to break the whole company up because you've still got this huge cash flow engine doing what you've always been doing, right? You need to keep doing what you've been doing because that's how you usually are making a lot of money. But you need to try something new. And so what I've seen that can be pretty effective is starting up a kind of a tiger team or skunk works type approach where you create a group of people with diverse capabilities who can be assigned a growth opportunity and give them the resources to be able to do that and give them the decision rights to be able to do that and change their metrics. What I see all too often happening is we create these kind of startups within a big company, but we make them adhere to the old style of metrics. So we, for instance, say, well, you got to keep making your revenue numbers and you know, you can't invest any money because that would affect our budget. Well, you've got to kind of give them leeway to not go to not have to hit all those numbers exactly, to not have to go to all the routine meetings that everybody has to go to, to not to be kind of have a pass from some of the day-to-day bureaucratic work that has to happen and instead focus them on learning goals. So set some very specific learning goals for these teams that are not so much focused on bringing in sales today, but are more focused on getting out there and seeing what does the customer really need? What are they really willing to pay for and how can we really do it? Can you give me an example of how you set some metrics against learning what customers really need and what they're willing to pay for as a learning goal? I understand the goal. Can you break down it into metrics? Yeah. So one client that I was working with was starting up a new business and they said to their team, I don't need you to close sales in the next five months. What I need you to do is bring back information. So go out and I'm going to measure you based on the number of customers that you've talked to 
where you with the customer have sketched out on a you know whiteboard and taken a picture of it, just simple stuff. What is it that they really need that would really help them achieve their goals? And so that's kind of a voice of the customer goal almost. Another one could be capability-based. So the metric could be something like, I need you to demonstrate that we can serve the customer with a five-day lead time in this small market. And maybe, you know, one of my clients, they, they were able to, to do that, but they had to use some workarounds. You know, they didn't use the normal system. They had to rent trucks. They had to like have the managers drive the trucks and take it to the customer. So it wasn't like they had scaled it up already, but they had demonstrated that they could do it and that the customer really appreciated and valued it. That's interesting because it requires that creative thinking. Mm -hmm. The role of creativity and agility are closely intertwined. Is that something that you've observed? Absolutely. When you've got something new coming at you in the marketplace, creativity is paramount for being able to figure out how to do something completely different than what you've ever done before. And going back to the, the idea of metrics, I remember a story from the Agility Advantage where you actually were meeting with, she was the CFO of Amazon, Joy. And mm -hmm. she was talking, people were saying, this is several years ago, and people were saying, when is Amazon going to turn a profit? Because they were continuing to grow, continuing to grow, but their stock wasn't producing the kind of growth that people had expected, given the kind of customer growth that they had. And do you remember the, the answer she gave? It was so poignant. It was what was so, it that she said in reply to that? She said, it cost us $4 to acquire a new company. When would you stop? And this was way back in 2000. This was a long time ago. And basically, Amazon has continued with that strategy of, Profits don't matter that much. Getting new customers does and see where it's gotten them. They're one of the biggest companies in the world now, and they were very smart with that strategy. What is the next part of the strategy? Because once you acquire the customer base, then it was Jeff Bezos's vision to do what? Well, I had a really interesting example happen yesterday, which is that we were, as you know, Amazon bought Whole Foods and then they started giving a discount for Amazon Prime members while they shopped at Whole Foods. So that was all great. So you had to key in when you were at the checkout at physical store at Whole Foods to get your discount. So go ahead, shop at Whole Foods for a few more months. And then yesterday we pull up our Amazon app to order something on Amazon. And we see that there's a Whole Foods tab there. So you click on the Whole Foods tab and immediately everything that we'd been buying in the physical store was suggested to us. Would you like to just click on these things and have them delivered within two hours? And it was our stuff, like the exact stuff that we like to buy, like a one pound of salmon with some green onions and some ginger. And you just go click, click, click. It was the best example of personalization I've seen so far that they were watching me, how I shopped when I was physically in the store, which is how I feel like I need to shop because I like to see the product and, you know, touch it and walk around the store and choose what I want. But they had served it up to me in just such an easy to use, delightful way that ordering online became really effortless. So that's an example of how they have acquired customers, delivered more and more value and really used personalization as a way to create value for the customer, not just advertise to me better. It seems like a direct extrapolation from buying a book and saying, 
other customers who bought this book also enjoyed these six books. Right. You tend to like books that say are about business strategy. So here's a new one that you might not have known about. Mm -hmm. They just really seem incredibly good at knowing what I want. And it's using the data, which gives them such an advantage. Another way that they use the data is very, very striking. In order to, people don't realize just how much the data plays a role in those recommendations, is being more attentive to the data and the insights that could be gleaned from the data, a key aspect of the agility advantage. Absolutely. Well, you know, data is so much more available and prevalent now than it used to be, but you have to know what you're looking for and you have to have a skeptical eye. So I actually just took a course at the Berkeley Business School, Haas School of Business in data science. And one of the things that I came away with so loud and clear is it is so easy to draw the wrong conclusions when you're looking at data. And so when somebody presents you with an analysis, you really need to have your skeptics hat on and say, "How? what other explanation could there be for this data other than what this person is telling me? Do you have an example? Uh, Amanda, do you have an example of how that can be ambiguous or could be misinterpreted due to a bias? Well, this is just a quick example. But the other day I was working with a client who had 100 different sales territories. And I took the amount that these salespeople had sold and what their growth rate was in the last year and just put it on a scatter plot. So I see these poor people in the bottom left corner, which is they're not selling very much and they're not growing very fast. And you immediately think, oh, those poor saps, they're no good, you know. But if you look at it in more depth, you might find that three of them were just hired last week and two of them have been given a territory that was a real dog. And, you know, so you've got to look at the particulars to see why am I seeing what I'm seeing. The other thing that I think is something that causes a lot of problems with data analytics is the data is the way it is for a reason that, that you don't expect. So for instance, you could say, the people that I send more emails to buy more. Let's send more emails. But actually it's kind of the reverse, which is I'm sending them more emails because they've bought more stuff from me. So I've, I'm sending them emails about more products. So in this particular instance, it's reversing the cause and effect, isn't it? The cause and effect is reversed from what you would think, yeah that phenomenon where you think that A causes B and you're drawing that conclusion, let's do more A because we want more B. It's actually B is causing A. So, you know, you always have to look at the causality of any situation that you're facing. Many times in the Agility Advantage, you've referenced Jim Collins' good to great. The principles, the way that companies have applied it, and you have some personal insights because of your focus with Kimberly Clark on continuous improvement. Can you use this as a backdrop and describe the symptoms that a corporate leader might be observing or experiencing that would indicate a need for greater agility? Because there is such contrast drawn from Jim Collins' good to great principles. Yeah. So the symptoms you would see are things like missing a market. A competitor comes out with a product that you, you hit your head and think, oh my God, we should have done that. A V8 moment. Yeah. Another symptom is difficulty knowing who in your organization really has the insight on the customer and maybe it's no one. So you get so busy just doing what you're doing, whatever it is, delivering packages or flying planes or whatever, that you really lost touch with what customers are thinking 
an obvious symptom is you're not growing. You're becoming less and less profitable. You're finding yourself in the selling commodities rather than being able to differentiate. You're finding your customers are fleeing from you or defecting. So those are the kinds of symptoms that companies come to me with when they are feeling the need for greater agility. I just want to go back and highlight the one where difficulty knowing who has the insight on the customer. I can imagine many corporate leaders and mid-sized company leaders having a sinking feeling in their stomach when they heard that. Can you describe what are the characteristics when somebody does have the insight on the customer, what happens and what you're able to do once that's in place? Well, so I think of an example of a project that I did once for a large company that provided financial services to uh, banks. And they asked us to go in and find out why their customer was unhappy. And we actually interviewed 25 different people at this huge bank who each had a completely different perspective on how my client was serving the bank. And what was so fascinating about it was not only did my client, who was selling to the bank, not really understand what the client liked about them, what they hated about them, what they would hope they would do, things like that. But the bank itself also did not understand this. So nobody had the big picture because there were so many different points of contact that some of the real true differentiators that were very important were experienced by people really low in the organization, for instance, who weren't the decision maker. And so being able to take a really comprehensive, broad approach to how does this large entity respond and value our large entity creates insights on both sides of the equation. That's a terrific example of the value that comes from really spending the time to listen and understand a complicated situation. Right. Amanda, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? I am ready, Bill. All right. So being able to write and consult and speak to groups in so many different markets requires a lot of work, a lot of preparation. How do you set yourself up for an ideal day? What are two or three components that you do in order to make sure, or at least improve the odds of having an excellent day? It depends. If I've got to rush out to a breakfast meeting, it's uh, <laughs> get the basics done, <laughs> make sure that I'm, I'm dressed and out the door on time. But on other days, I've found that it is very helpful just to sit and contemplate for a few minutes. I sometimes walk around the block one time just to kind of clear my head, get my blood flowing, look at the beautiful trees and flowers as I go by. Another thing that I've been doing a lot recently, which I've found extremely powerful, is writing just by hand on a clean blank piece of paper for 25 minutes with Baroque music playing into my ears. And uh, it really kind of helps you clear your head and get some of your best thoughts out while it's still early in the morning. Amanda, if you could put a slogan about the agility advantage that the decision makers, the managers and leaders of the corporations who were starting to suffer from some of those symptoms you've referenced earlier needed to see, what, it, what would it say? Anticipate what's going to happen next, make a quick decision about how to capitalize on it, and do something tomorrow which will enable you to begin to learn and begin to change to be able to capitalize on it. In your experience, what's the most memorable example of adopting agility that made a difference through your research or that you've observed by working with companies? 
You know, I've worked with Home Depot many times over the years, but I happened to work with them in 2006, right about the time that the housing market took a major downturn. And it was also the time that Bob Nardelli left as CEO and, and Frank Blake came in. And it's quite interesting because they really were just getting back to basics, but they were doing it in a much more committed, agile, and clear way. And prior to that time, they were losing a lot of market share to Lowe's, and they totally turned it around and have dominated more and more since that time and have really done much, much better than Lowe's. So to me, that's an example of a company that just through great clarity of purpose, through getting stuff off their plate that was irrelevant, like selling their distribution business, and to really just harnessing the energy and of their employees and empowering their employees really turned the situation around in a very positive way. And Amanda, here's a personal question. When you think back in the last year or so, what's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? If you do my strengths finder analysis, one of my quote strengths is input, which really irritates me because I think it means that I'm just like constantly wanting to read more, research more, get more information. And it's not always helpful. So I think that one of the things that I've changed in the last few months is stopping all that research and, and getting more information and just kind of turning inward to think, okay, I've experienced a lot of stuff in my life and I have a lot of points of view. Let's just kind of bring that to light rather than having to know everything that's going on out there in the world. It's just an interesting experiment to run on myself. Excellent. It always pays to have that experimental mindset and seeing what makes a difference. Amanda, right. as you think of companies that are excited about the agility advantage, you're excited about turning around their misfortunes as they're experiencing them currently. What's a common mistake that you've found that managers make when looking to make changes initially? Where do they stop short? Where do they not pursue a step or a process all the way through where they need some help in order to make it more successful? One of the things that trips companies up is they see the world changing fast and they see companies adopting, you know, agile methodologies and trying to be more agile, et cetera. And they think, so we need to do this company-wide. So they think too big. They're thinking, they think they need to change the whole company, which is extremely difficult and actually counterproductive because in many parts of your company, you really just need to keep doing what you're doing well. You know, you've built this machine that's consistent, that's efficient, that you've taken cost out of over the years. And you really just need to keep doing what you're doing and doing it well and consistently and efficiently. So where I see them getting tripped up is being too broad-minded, where what they really need to do is thinking about those specific parts of their company and specific parts of the value that they deliver to customers where agility is very important. And those are the places where business environment is changing fast and it makes a big difference in customers' decision to buy. And when you can isolate those things, and focus your agility efforts on those very specific areas, you can be way more successful. Amanda, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today on my quest for the best. You've shared some great insights, starting with how Mrs. Tidwell had that terrific setup. where you are able to look at the fertilized chicken eggs one week at a time to see them developing and really get an insider's view into how that process took place. 
you defined agility as seeing what's happening, anticipating opportunities, and capitalizing on the change. Something that all of us need to be focused on in our businesses, whether we're running small and mid-sized businesses or helping those in larger corporations. You talked about how startups with big companies need fresh, appropriate metrics in order to succeed because applying the same metrics to a small skunk works or tiger team is making it bound to fail because they can't succeed with the same metrics when they're doing different tasks. That's important to look at. You reminded us about how when companies are looking to bring out and prove things when they're doing a learning experiment, they may need different workarounds in order to prove that to be the case. You talked about and emphasized how important and available data is, yet also keeping a skeptical eye because it's so easy to make the wrong conclusions without the right context. And I love the example where you talked about the banking industry, where you had someone who didn't understand insights on a customer. And when you actually talked and interviewed, you found that neither the client nor their customer had the insights because they were so diffuse in the organization. And they needed to be brought out in order for people to focus on them and really deliver that value. You talked about being able to really see the specific areas where a company can make changes to add value and make that the focus. And it's many times right where the customer is making a buying decision. So for these reasons and so many more, Amanda, I just want to thank you for being on my quest for the best with me today. It was a great pleasure. Thank you so much, Bill. Amanda, before we say goodbye for now, can you tell us where to find out more about you and your work online? Two places. One is at www.satili.com, spelled S-E-T-I-L-I.com. And there you can find frameworks and my blog and lots of good information about what we do and why. The other place is on my LinkedIn profile where I post articles and posts a few times a week and I'm always coming up with new stuff and would love to have more people engage with that material so that I can begin to learn because when I put something new out there, I really love to get feedback from people who are experiencing something different from me to either set me straight or to reinforce my thinking. Amanda Satilli, author of The Agility Advantage. I just wanted to thank you again for being on my quest for the best. We're going to link to all of those resources that we mentioned during the interview as well as to your website and LinkedIn profile. So thanks once again, Amanda. Thank you, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.